This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Today, we are revisiting a series that we called Sabotage. And the idea behind that series was that we know that there are forces at work in the world that we live in that want to destroy the life that God wants to give us. And most of us are looking for the full-on frontal assault. We're looking for the attack of the enemy that is the brave heart, painted face warriors running straight at us. But I would submit to you that the tactics that our enemy uses are a lot more subtle and damaging. God is constantly at work protecting us, but I would say that there are forces at work constantly to sabotage us. And the forces that we don't even see. As a matter of fact, as a great illustration just for you to see how something can steal from you without you even being aware, I'd like you to watch this video. Watching a brazen crime in action. See this woman pumping gas off to the side? Now, watch this silver car pull up next to her, just like any other customer. As the woman is focusing on the gas pump, watch. The thief crouches down, opens her passenger door, and grabs her purse. The entire crime takes only 19 seconds. Police call these crooks sliders. They say it's sliding because they're sliding below the, the eye level of the door. And it's happening nationwide, from Houston to Miami to Washington, D.C. In this case, watch as the thief checks the door. It's locked. So he jumps through the window to snatch the purse. The victim pumping gas just feet away. This is such an easy crime for them to commit because they're in and out so quickly. It happened to Susan Denkowski while filling up her tank. Surveillance cameras caught this car pulling up next to her truck. Watch as the thief creeps out, opens her door, and makes off with her purse. I never even thought to lock my doors because I'm standing right there next to my car. But it wasn't over yet. Just minutes later, while Susan was waiting for police to arrive, another crook hit the same station. Watch this white sedan pull up to another woman's SUV. The thief sneaks out and tries to grab her purse from inside. Susan saw it and sprang into action. I ran out and I started yelling, he's robbing you, he's robbing you. I didn't want it to happen to her, it just happened to me. It's an awful feeling. He got away empty-handed. While cops snab some of the thieves, many are never caught, leaving women vulnerable, easy targets at the pump. Think about that with me. It's a great illustration of life right there. We get so focused on something that's important. It's, it's a good thing to do in life. We can get so focused on it that we neglect to pay attention to what's really valuable. And we get robbed of the life that God wants to give us. Because all we have done is neglected something that is valuable, but simply out of our focus. I would tell you today that I think more often than not, sabotage happens in our lives in the form of our attitudes. 
in the form of our attitudes. That in the, the attitudes that we embrace, that there has been, for many of you, a war on those attitudes. So, so let's just kind of go ahead and get started with that. Let's create a, a working definition for us to just to understand what I mean by attitudes. The, I would tell you today that an attitude is an internal belief that we contain in our hearts. We, it's something that we have in us that motivates outward responses. It's an internal belief that motivates an outer, outward response. That's, that's an attitude, okay? And during this series, we investigated four different attitudes. Today, I'm going to bring some of those back to you, and we're going to spend some time looking at what the evidence of that might look like in your life, and then how do we adjust that attitude. So I, I would like to tell you a few things about attitudes before we get started. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23 this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart because everything that you do flows from your heart. Your life will flow out of your heart. All, all, everything you do, all of your actions, all of your responses, everything that you do is going to flow out of your heart. So I would tell you this about the importance of attitudes. The first thing in your notes, your attitudes alter your behavior. Your attitudes alter your behavior. They're important for that reason. They're important because your attitudes are constantly affecting the way that you react to the world around you. Your attitudes are providing for you the understanding of when this happens, this is how I would respond to it. Your attitudes alter your behavior. And that sounds actually just in its in that statement, it sounds a little lost. Like, well, then what do I do about it? And I love that Jesus, as Jesus teaches about our heart, Jesus gives us a, an awesome key to navigating the attitudes of our hearts. It's found in Matthew 16. Jesus is teaching on money. This is one of those verses that for us, very important as a church, we, this is the, the verse that we anchor into when it comes to giving and having a heart to give and be generous. Jesus said, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For Pay attention to this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right? The key there is this. It's the second thing in your notes. Making the right choices can correct our bad attitudes. Making the right choices can correct our bad attitudes. You may never have sat down with someone, but I have uh, someone who has spent and wasted the, the money that their family needs to buy groceries on uh, alcohol or drugs or those kind of things. Somebody who's in in that position as an addict. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're spending that money on this. That's where your heart is being directed to. All right. Start making the other decision. Be disciplined and start devoting that money 
towards the groceries that your kids need. And you know what happens after a while? All of a sudden, your heart will follow the decision that you've made. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when we start making the right decisions, we start providing internal correction to the bad attitudes that have existed there. And as we go through this today, I'm going to point out some attitudes and then provide uh, some evidence for you to kind of navigate whether that's you. And then if that is you, I'm going to provide the, a key to correct off of the, the first one that we went through. The first attitude is being discontent, discontent. In that we looked at, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but in Genesis 25, the Bible tells us about Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau was born first because he was the firstborn son. He gained the birthright. If you know anything about uh, Jewish history, birthright meant a significant portion of the family's estate. So because he was born first, there was always this tension between Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob was a hairy, manly kind of guy, and he was out hunting. And in Genesis 25, he comes back in where Jacob had been working in the house cooking supper. All right, you see the dynamic that's at work between these two brothers. And he comes in, and Esau's hungry. He wants some of the stew. And Jacob says, if you will give me a portion of that stew, if I give this to you, Will you give me your birthright? And in that moment, Esau sells his birthright for a cup of stew. All right? Esau traded what he wanted right then for something that he could have had eventually. Look at the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you? You see, a lot of us are confused about what life is supposed to get us. A lot of us are confused about that. We think that life is supposed to get us love or life is supposed to get us money or life is supposed to lead us to possessions like a better car, a bigger house. Life is going to get us something, but the real goal of what life should be getting us is closer to Jesus. That's what life should get us. That's what life is all about. In Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 13, when he says, be content in all things, here's why you can be content. Because I'm with you all the time. If the goal is Jesus... Jesus is never going to leave us. So let's look at some evidence that you might be living a discontent life. The first thing that I would say is that you're living by comparison. You're living by comparison. You're gauging your success based on how other people around you are doing. You're gauging your level of failure based on what types of failures you see happening around you. You're living by comparison. And you know what happens when we live by comparison? There are only two destinations for that. One is that we live looking around saying, I'm doing so good and it invokes pride that is unhealthy in us. 
thinking that we're better or we look around and find that more people have more things than we have and it leads to lust. I want what they have. I love what John Acuff said about starting out in there many of us that are in this room that are on the front end of our journey. John said, don't ever compare your beginning to someone else's middle. But that's what we do. Just having started businesses, we look at established businesses that are 20 years, 30 years into their games, and we start comparing ourselves to what they have and what they produce. And As young families, we look at our parents and go, well, our parents had this size house and they had these kinds of cars. But you're looking at the end of a life that was lived with sacrifice. And we'll mortgage our lives to try to get something that we want right now and ruin our future. See, when we do that, we actually do what number two says, and that's that we've traded the best things for momentary things. Every year I hear this story around Christmas time, and it makes no sense to me, of a, a dad or a mom who works overtime, 12-hour, 14-hour shifts, seven days a week, for six, eight weeks leading up to Christmas to get extra money to buy Christmas presents. What in the world? Why? Why? To gain $1,000 to spend on presents that your kids are going to break in three months. And you're going to rob them of two months of you. I mean, don't trade. Don't trade something that is momentary for something that's best. If that's you and you're living a life that is propelled by discontent. You are looking around and a lot of your gauges and barometers on your life are judging off of where other people are and how successful or what level of failure they've lived at. I would tell you today that the attitude adjustment for being discontent is this, to allow your circumstances to be a gift from Jesus. Allow your circumstances to be a gift from Jesus. And some of y'all say, no, there's no way. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. You, ha- you can't even, Kevin, understand the level of challenge that my life represents right now. I'd like to look at this verse out of Philippians 4. The Apostle Paul writing the, the epistle, the letter to the church of Philippi. Out of a jail cell, a Roman jail cell, that its ceiling was three and a half feet tall. Square footage in that room, approximately 25. You know what the theme of the book of Philippians is? Joy. Written out of that jail cell. And he writes these words. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances because if life 
really is all about getting Jesus. Jesus is present in whatever circumstance I'm going through. And sometimes he will use a difficult circumstance to build character in me because God is a little bit more concerned about your character than your comfort. View whatever your circumstances are as a gift from God. The second attitude, and we're going to kind of cruise through this one, is the attitude of being judgmental. Judgmental. And we all know those folks. I don't have to talk about them too long. Right? We know those folks. It doesn't matter what you do. Either direction you go, they're going to criticize you. Right? We don't want to be those folks. But really, that's the beginning of the temptation. As you look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, as the story begins to unfold and we as humanity blow it. All right? The decision ultimately is there are two trees. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there's the tree of life. You can eat from any tree, just don't eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Satan say to Eve? He says, Eve, if you eat from that, you will be like God. I love Rick Warren's commentary on that verse. Rick Warren said this, Notice that the temptation of Satan is never to be like him. It's always to be like God. You will be like God. Actually, you'll become your own God. And you'll get to, for you, decide what is good and what is bad. Let's look at the evidence of being judgmental. Number one is that you want people to think that you're a good person. Now, in Stanley County, that's a tough one to swallow. I'll be honest with you. We wave at each other on the highway all the time. Who's that? I don't even know. I'm just waving at them, right? You want people to know, to think that you're a good person. But here's the problem with that. Look at number two. You attach value to people and behaviors based on how good or bad they are. And all too often, the measure of good and bad is our perspective. That's a bad person. Why are they bad? Well, they just were cranky the other day. Well, I was, I was cranky too. I was just hungry. You ever get hangry? Nobody else in here gets hangry? Happens to me. All right. We attach values to people and subconsciously and, and often, all too often, consciously, we, we look through a crowd and go, that's a good person, that's a bad person, that's a good person, that's a bad person, that's a good person, that's a bad person. We, sh- we do that. See, when you do that, you start to miss something. And I'd like to show you what the adjustment for this attitude is. The first one, is that you have permission in Scripture to judge one person, and that's yourself. One, one person, that's you. You can be all harsh and judgmental on yourself. As a matter of fact, the Bible encourages that in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, It says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. In other words, if we're the kind of people that constantly say, God, search me, show me what's wrong, show me what needs to change, God, bring the sin in my life to the surface. Let me see it. If we will judge ourselves, we will escape the judgment of God. 
if we're that kind of person. Because that posture of living does something that's powerful in us. Look at what number two says. That we would work to view others' failures in light of our own. Work to view the failures of others in light of our own failures. I want you to read with me out of Luke 11, Jesus teaching us to pray. We call that the Lord's Prayer. Many of us on ball fields have said that uh, a thousand times. Read what's in there. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sends us against us. Y'all remember that part of the Lord's Prayer? You've prayed that before, right? Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. How many of you want God to forgive you the way you forgive other people? I mean, really. I, I can honestly say that's not how I want it to go down. Because I hold grudges. And I get mad because there's not toilet paper. On the toilet paper roll, there's a brown toilet paper roll where there used to be toilet paper and I'm in the middle of doing business and I need toilet paper and it's not in here and I'm angry. Right? That, that stuff, that's real, right? And the Bible tells us that we need to forgive. And God forgives us. And, and that there's this connection you see, the connection happens because if we live a life that is constantly being introspective, constantly judging our own behaviors, what happens? It's, it compels us to give grace and mercy to other people. The only reason that we get judgmental is because we start to think we have it all together. I got it right. You got it wrong. No, you don't got it right. <laughs> Sorry. It doesn't mean you got it wrong. But none of us have it right. Jesus had it right. So as we see ourselves in the light that we should, it compels us to give grace and mercy to the people that are around us. And that is the one thing that sustains intimacy, is grace and mercy. Let's move on. Attitude number three is being fearful. Being fearful. You see, oftentimes we think about fear, in the, especially in the context of the Bible, as being afraid. But you know what the Bible actually says? Is, is that it, being afraid, the, the physical experience of fear, if I stepped out in front of a Mack truck that was about to run me over, right, that is not the same thing. And there's a, there's a, a big, long discourse that we could go into about the original text and how it's written. But see, Fear in the Bible is fear defines it that's negative, that's sinful. Fear is simply fear because it doubts God. It doubts God's ability. You see, fear looks at a situation and says, God can't. Faith looks at it and says, God can. And I think that for many of us, there may be nothing that has sabotaged our lives the way fear has, as it's robbed joy and intimacy out of our lives. Look what the Bible says in John 
1 John 4. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, if you reread that, understanding that fear is doubting God, there is no doubting God when you experience his love. Because perfect love drives out all doubt. See, the thing is, is that there are people in your life right now that you probably trust more than Jesus. Because you know when the crap hits the fan, they'll be there. But in the back of your mind, you doubt if Jesus will be. That's faith. Is knowing he will. See, enemy definitely wants to sabotage our lives. And as these attitudes creep in from us not even seeing them as they come in, they rob us from the things that God really wants to give us in life. I'd like you to watch another video and be reminded that as we embrace the love of God, he is watching out for us. Watch this video. Myra Dasanayaka was behind the counter when he noticed his co-worker returned to the store after a run to the bank. The men in this SUV were watching too because they went straight for the man in the bank bag as soon as he got out of his car. Just the reaction, just you see someone get beat up, you just go out. Myra ran outside and before the alleged robbers even saw him. The first guy I saw, I just kicked him in the face, then I punched <laughs> the other guy. Watch it again. Myra's co-worker is on the ground, taking a beating when Myra's first kick catches one of the accused crooks in the face. Myra! Moves Myra learned in cage matches. He's trained in mixed martial arts for more than a decade and was named the MMA national champion for five consecutive years in his native country of Sri Lanka. We learned, like, how to punch, how to kick, and, like, you know, how to move. So all that stuff you can use in the streets. Or in this case, the parking lot. In seconds, the bad guys begin their retreat, the getaway car getting further away. They were waiting for them, but when they were running back, I caught one guy with a hook, so he fell down. So they just left him. Take a look. One of the alleged robbers wants to go back for his accomplice and friend, but decides against it when Myra moves towards him. In the end, they left the guy, and just as he does in the ring, Myra put him in submission while he waited for police. Just kicked him till he lays down in the floor until he stopped moving because I wasn't sure if he had like a knife or gun, so I wanted him to stop moving. Police arrested the man identified as 33-year-old Odell Mathis. His partner and the driver got away, but customers of the fuel depot still call this... A feel-good story. A feel-good story, unless you're this guy. Hey, Brandon Davis in the back. Brandon, raise your hand. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon will train you. If you want to be this guy, all right, Salvation MMA here in town. Brandon runs that. He's, this is a whole, what, gang of those guys hanging out over there. You don't want to mess with them, all right? But, see, think about this with me. One of the names that Jesus has given in Scripture is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. You know, 
when we choose to embrace God's way, He becomes our protector. There are a thousand ways that our lives are constantly being sabotaged. But when we devote ourselves to living for Jesus, God becomes our protector. You know, you may wonder, what is, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? How do I deal with being fearful? Well, the simple answer is this. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. That means to stop telling Jesus, you can't fill in the blank. It means to stop saying, Jesus, you can't heal my marriage. Jesus, you can't rescue my kids. Jesus, you can't redeem my bank account. Jesus, you can't. You see, when we choose to put trust in God, all of those things flip, and all of a sudden we say, Jesus, you can heal my family. Jesus, this is a huge problem, but you are bigger than that. Because he is. And he can rescue your life from sabotage, from damage, and by his grace can take us out of what appears to be death and bring us to new life. Maybe even land a few haymakers on the devil in the process. All right, let's pray as we get ready. God, thank you today that you're our protector. That, God, the life that you've invited us into isn't just uh, uh, this big promise of, of better things, God. It's, it's a protective thing. That you want to protect us from being the kind of people who, who blow it, the, the kind of people who don't get it right, to and turning us into the kind of people that live your life, that, that demonstrate your love. And so today, God, there are some of us that are in here today, and our lives have been sabotaged. There have been attitudes that we've embraced, that we've allowed to creep into our hearts. And today, God, you're challenging us to be the kind of people that step out of those, to embrace your life and to trust you. So with nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. Let me ask you today. Where are you? Where's your life today? Do you feel a little bit like those women that have had your purse snatched, that life was there and you took your eye off of it and it got snatched away from you and now you're not real sure what's going on? If that's you, all you need to do today is to decide, Jesus, I want you, I want to submit to you, I want to surrender to you, I want to let you lead me. If that's you and you're here right now, and you say, I'm I'm done running, I'm done trying to do it my own way, I'm tired of living in a sabotage life, I want to embrace God's life for me, would you raise your hand right now? I want to embrace God's life for me. I'm tired of ruining my own life. I'm tired of living a sabotaged life. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living totally frustrated. I'm tired of living this way. Is that you? Anybody else? Anybody else today? So God, for those of us that are in the room, that we recognize that 
We desperately need you. God, we can't live this life without you. We ask you to come by your grace and mercy. God, take us from this broken life into yours for your glory and for your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.